one. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of the best damn energy show on the planet, BDE. Let's get into it. I love listening to Chuck play the air drums. It's just the silence in here while you're playing the air drums is so it's awkward. So when me and 90s Random went to New York together, he texted me at one point. I didn't want to say this to your face, but it's kind of creepy that all you do is walk around and sing the theme song of your <laughs> podcast. So I think it's kind <laughs> of the same thing. Well, the new the new theme song is the Oil Boys. I like that. That's that was that song. was We're really some strong. Boys out here. So. Got that old money. <laughs> All right. Story number one. Where else would we start? But come on, man. Elon Musk. All right, Colin. Elon Musk took to Twitter this weekend. He's got 65 million followers, and he went with the question, should I sell 10% of my Tesla holdings? With 58% of the 3.5 million votes, the eyes had it. Of course, yet to be seen on what Elon's actually going to do with this. Will he comply? But I can tell you this, market didn't like it. Tesla stock down 5% yesterday on heavy volume. Literally 10% of the stocks traded yesterday were Tesla. So Elon kind of claimed under the guise of we're talking about unrealized gains being tax avoidance. That was sort of his story for it. Reports have surfaced that maybe he's violated his settlement agreement with the SEC by doing this. There's also some talk about how he's got a large block of options he was granted back in 2012, and this is the way he's going to raise the cash to pay the tax bill. What's going on with your boy Elon Musk? Yeah. Let's talk about this a little bit. People on Twitter, you know, they say that, you know, they look at it surface level and they're like, oh, Elon's using this as a ploy to liquidate some of his stock. And he's going to use the Twitter poll as a reason like, oh, the Twitter poll says I have to sell it. So I have to sell it. This is surface level thinking. So let's dive into this a little bit. I'm going to pull up his tweets right here. So let's let's read the thread for anyone that's listening. So original tweet says, much is made lately of unrealized gains being a means of tax avoidance. So I propose selling 10% of my Tesla stock. Do you support this? Then he has the Twitter poll, yes or no vote. Second tweet says, I will abide by the results of this poll, whichever way it goes. But here's the third tweet that gets really interesting. Note, I do not take a cash salary or bonus from anywhere. I only have stock. Thus, the only way for me to pay taxes personally is to sell stock. So here's my take, Chuck. All right. Look, Elon's a smart dude. I don't care who you are. Guy's a genius, right? I think that he's playing he's playing chess here with the feds. You know, there's a lot of talk about unrealized gain taxes, and it's just the most bizarre and ludicrous, you know, proposal out there, right? And Elon's saying, hey, look, guys. I don't take a cash salary. I don't have any bonuses. The only way that I can pay taxes on my unrealized gains is to sell stock. And guess what? If I sell stock in Tesla, it's going to take down the entire fucking market. So that's what I feel like he's doing is he's playing games and toying around with the Fed. 
And um, well, you know, it's interesting because hedge funds run on margin loans, right? Yeah. I mean, they are levered to the hilt. That's how they make their returns. And so you go in and take the number one holding of every hedge fund out there down five to 10% over a couple of days. That triggers margin stuff. When margins are called, guess what? You're selling stock to have to pay back that margin. That is kind of the death spiral. So exactly. And then here's my favorite tweet from Elon. So uh, Ron Wyden, who I, I think, is, he a, is he a senator? Is he a politician? I didn't look up to see who he actually is. I think he is, though. He said, whether or not the world's wealthiest man pays any taxes at all shouldn't depend on the results of a Twitter poll. It's time for the billionaire's income tax. And Elon replies to him and says, why does your profile picture look like you just came? <laughs> and then Elon changes his profile picture to a picture of a rocket that definitely looks like, um, can we say dick on this show? Because that's what it looks like. And so <laughs> if Elon can- if it, Radio if, edit. If Elon can ask why you, your profile picture looks like you just came, I can say that on my show. So you know this, this comment got 96,000 likes on it. So Elon's just over here trolling uh, Twitter and politicians and the feds. And I think it's kind of amazing because how much leverage does he have? Like you just said, he can start liquidating his stock and he can take the entire thing down with him. So he's, I think he's one of the most powerful guys in the world right now. And he controls, uh, what happens with some Twitter fingers. So, okay, I'll give you that. Let me play a counterpoint for just a second. There are also rumors that Elon's levered up. I mean, because for all his talk about I only have stock, that's the only way any brokerage firm on the planet from Goldman Sachs on down will loan Elon Musk any amount of money he wants. So yeah. that's a little disingenuous. There are talks that maybe he's uh, he's got some leverage because let's face it, dude lo does have his moments of living large. Right. Yeah. So, OK, so that's kind of a kind of one issue. Is there something like that going on? Because. It begs the question of he hit an all-time high. Does he just think this is a good time to sell? I mean, at the end of the day, that when the CEO is selling, the market is sitting there going, they know something we don't. Is he scared of the Rivian IPO? Yeah. And, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Hertz deal as well. And you remember the stock started uh, rising on the on the news of- I think it was up 15%. With, yeah, a deal yeah. with Hertz. And then it came out, Elon said, oh no, no nothing's actually confirmed. So there was some, <laughs> some funny stuff happening We didn't actually there. sign that. Yeah, they didn't actually <laughs> sign the deal. But yeah, you know, you talk about the Rivian deal and what you're seeing in the markets right now. I had this uh, tweet last month. I'm gonna pull it up real quick so that we can take a look at it. So. Here's the thing, you know, Rivian's S1 uh, has them at a $80 billion valuation with $0 in revenue. Then you have Ford with $55 billion valuation and $130 billion in revenue. Plus, Ford has $150,000 or 150,000 reservations for the Ford Lightning, which is going to be a badass truck, by the way. So if you look at the discrepancy in valuations between the two companies, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking on Rivian. I think Rivian... Um, I think that their product is cool and, you know, they have a, a big investment from Ford actually. Um, so it's not a knock on Rivian. It's more so the discrepancy in electric vehicle companies has to close. That gap has to close at some point, right? Ford either has to come up or Rivian and Tesla have to come down because if you look at it from just a fundamentals perspective, you can't generate hundred plus billion dollars in revenue and have half the market cap of a company that hasn't shipped a car. It doesn't yeah. make sense. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because when you go back to the early 2000s and the dot-com bubble, you know, pets.com was $40 billion and your local pet store was, you know, 10 cents in terms of value. Guess which one's still around today yeah. and, making, and making money. The other interesting point on this front is you sounded dangerously close to Jim Cramer right there. That's been a Kramer take the whole time. So I didn't want to point that out. We're friends and all. You didn't hit me. That's good. We're making... And then uh, one last point on this uh, on this whole thing. With the drop in the uh, stock price yesterday, Bitcoin is now a larger enterprise value entity than Tesla. Yeah. You know, but Bitcoin's a fake cryptocurrency. And I'm like, how can you be fake? It's a trillion dollar market cap. Yeah. Can't be, can't be fake. I, I would like to be that fake. But then they're saying if you're if you're comparing it to Tesla, maybe that's a little barred for comparison evaluation. <laughs> but so our buddy Reese said, just please make electric vehicles not look like concept cars. Any internal combustion engine car producer could do this. Dude, that's been my beef with EVs too. Like, you know, I've been looking at buying an electric vehicle and I'm like, why do all of these look like they look like soccer mom cars? I'm like you know, Ford released uh, one of their old uh, F-150 or F-100 designs um, a couple weeks ago with an electric uh, battery in it. And I was like, this is fucking sick. Like, I would buy that. I don't need some futuristic conceptual looking car or some grocery getter. I just want a normal car with an, with an EV battery. Well, and hopefully dad's not watching right now because dad has been kind enough to let me drive his uh, elect uh, Ford Mach-E. I will say this, instead of being the electric Mustang, I mean, the it or the Corvette being the ultimate American car ever, looks a little bit like the Gremlin from the early 70s. It's kind of got the hatchback yeah, and stuff. That's so, what, yeah, it doesn't yeah. even look like a Mustang, right? Dude, your dad's like, your dad's on top of it. He's got the he's got the solar set up at the house. He's got the EV. Like He's out here just saving dad, the world. Dad is the early adopter. The only thing about dad is he will buy the first one that comes out and then never upgrade. <laughs> then never we have the original VCR VHS that's about as big as a book stand still at the house in Richmond. Man so. gets his money's worth. He does. Jake Jake said, uh, young Jamie, put up that F100 on the screen. We need Tim to increases capability to be able we to now have an intern <laughs> get me some coffee too while you're at it all right we got our next section next session merger mania let's get into it all right Merger mania, we got some activity happening over in oil and gas. So Continental Resources enters the Delaware Basin with a $3.3 billion buy of assets from Pioneer Natural Resources. Southwestern Energy acquired or agreed to acquire GEP Haynesville for almost $1.9 billion. And Colgate Energy, not to be confused with Colgate the toothpaste, has continued its buying spree by adding 22,000 net acres in the Delaware for approximately $190 million. Chuck, lots of activity. What does all this mean? Plus, I think you got some. You got some. We do have information scoop. for us too. You got a scoop. On We're gonna Colgate. break news. Dut, 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 dut. So oh. here's the deal, though. I rarely find it appropriate to quote the singer Meatloaf, but I will on this segment. I gotta. To, I gotta admit, I don't know who Meatloaf is, dude. The big fat dude. 
It seems like a proper name for big fat dude. Nah, right. fair, <laughs> fair enough. Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was in it. Saying cutie patootie. This is where this I is know. Where our this is where we're breaking down. <laughs> anyway, Meatloaf, the album "Bad Out of Hell," sold 25 million copies in the late 70s, and one of the big hit songs on it was two out of three ain't bad." So that's what I'm saying about these deals. <laughs> Let's dig in. Let's look first at Southwestern. Two-thirds of uh, the purchase price was cash. One-third was stock. This is Southwestern consolidating. They are now going to be the biggest producer in the Haynesville. They're going to have four and a half to five Bs a day in production. So when we look at that deal, kind of the same way the market looked at that deal, stock price stayed flat. Basically, you've got synergies. You probably have some marketing strength when you have that much gas together. You're going to be able to put some pressure on marketing situations. This is what we need to see to ha see happen. We, you know, at the end of the day, we need to see consolidation. We've got too many EMP companies out there, so this is a good thing. The synergies will happen, so we like this deal. Colgate, which is backed by Pearl Energy, uh, run by Will Hickey. Um, Colgate buying the 22,000 acres from an unnamed seller. We're going to confirm the seller was actually Oxy. Damn, there's yeah. the scoop. We have a PDA scoop coming in with a scoop. In, in fact, Inverness alluded Inveris. to it. Inveris. Inveris. Or DI, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, what is it? Well, oil, oil and gas well database or whatever it is. I love Alan, but yeah, I do go love back that. and forth with him that Inveris is too hard to say. Yeah, exactly. Anything that sounds like a healthcare biotech company is tough. <laughs> but no, so they bought it from Oxy. Here's kind of what didn't make the press release on this is when you look at Colgate, they've got an area they call Parkway. And about 60%, 65% of the acreage they bought from Oxy is literally abutting their Parkway acreage. And that's where they're drilling their best wells. So this is a true bolt-on. There should be synergies and the like. So we uh, we like that deal. Now, to the third and final deal, we get to Continental. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, you've got Continental, who talks all about their inventory in the mid-continent. They've got stack and scoop stuff. Talks all about their inventory in the Bakken. They decide they're going to pay four some odd or three some odd billion to go into the Delaware. I mean, we used to have the joke at Kane Anderson, if mid-continent is buying Permian, they're overpaying. If Permian's buying mid-continent, <laughs> they're overpaying. So you kind of... I think it's interesting. You got Hambone going into the Permian, but then you see the purchase price and you're just like, man, it's expensive first off. It's not, it's not you, know, you know, your core competency. And then also it's just interesting to look at like Pioneer you know, you build up this position and then you just piece it out and sell it out. It's just a weird transaction all well, around. Say all all you want about Scott Sheffield, but if he's selling something in the Permian Basin, I'm not buying. I mean, <laughs> I, just, I know he knows more than than uh, we do. The market reacted similarly. Continental stock was down initially about 15%. It's since bounced back, but you know, at the end of the day, what this is sending the message is. It's saying, hey, our inventory sucks. We don't have enough to do. And we're going to go, you know, have a new entrant basin thing. That sounds very 2014. It doesn't sound today. So it'll be interesting to see if, and I talked to two people 
that were going to bid on this package and they couldn't get anywhere near Continental's price. One of them said, yeah, they were 50% more than we were. Jeez. Uh, and these were pretty sharp folks, not necessarily that they would be a winning bidder, but, but at least can't even figure out how they get there. It'll be interesting to see if Continental, if Harold Ham winds up paying more for the Delaware than he did his ex-wife and the $955 million <laughs> And or if he pays more for the Delaware than he will in the perpetual lawsuit that's pending. Yeah. I don't know if you saw my video with uh, Harold Ham and Perpetual and Pioneer and someone's like, like, is he going to lose that that lawsuit against Perpetual? And I'm like, I don't think Harold Ham cares. Like, he's just going to keep doing whatever he wants to do. Like, that's that's the Ham way. So that, that totally uh, that totally is uh, the Ham way. All right, man. So lots of M&A there. But I know you got some opinions. Well, Here's what we got. We got a new segment on the show. It's called That's My Opinion. Do you know what's good for me? That's my opinion! I love that clip, by the way. <laughs> all right. Tech's been walking around the office all morning playing that. Showing everybody. <laughs> all right, Colin. Over the past couple of weeks in Glasgow, Scotland, the world's elites have gathered at the UN Climate Change Conference, the COP26. Notable things that happened there. You had an impassioned speech from uh, former President Barack Obama. What say you about this whole mess? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Twitter was full of, you know, showing the hypocrisies of the, uh, I don't know, do they call it COP26 or COP26? Do we even know if it's how we how we say it? I don't say know. Cop 26. Anybody out on Twitter watching the show, let us know. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of people are pointing out the hypocrisies of the world's elite traveling here and the amount of, you know, private jets and just the lifestyles that these people live, you know, the carbon footprint that Bill Gates personally has compared to the average individual. And so, you know, it's um, th those criticisms are all fair. I had a uh, – did you see that video of uh, Greta? And she's leading the chant and like no. all they're saying is like, like, blah, blah, blah. Stop with the blah, blah, blah. It's like, I want to make a three hour loop video on YouTube of them. Just like, it's a whole crowd just yelling, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this seems uh, constructive to getting, getting your uh, goal accomplished. But yeah, I think that, um, you know, if you look at some of the, some of the talking points that are around that, I mean, I just think that, you know, you don't have China and Russia and the countries that need to be there the most involved. You know, it's just kind of a circle jerk, to be honest. I mean, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem um, constructive for the world. And it just kind of seems like, you know, a lot of smoke and smoke and mirrors. Well, I think in the history of the United Nations, the only thing they might have done OK is produce a marginally attractive holiday card. Have you ever seen the UN holiday card? It's no. actually kind of nice looking and all that. <laughs> Outside, the UN's never been able to pull anything together. I mean, the fact we fund the whole thing so that people can hang out at the Waldorf in New York and call us assholes yeah. is, is sort of a fundamentally bad thing. I do think what happened, though, with the private planes being there, kind of the opulence of the thing. I don't know if you saw the cocktail parties they had, people in tuxedos. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I know it always falls on deaf ears when energy guys are sitting there going, look at those guys. They fly around in a private plane and that doesn't seem to make any traction. I wonder if maybe this time it makes a little bit of traction because, I mean, just the Bezos and Leonardo DiCaprio thing was was pretty cool and all. But they're wearing tuxedos. They're telling a poor person that, hey, you shouldn't have electricity, but I can. So I wonder if uh, if that maybe strikes a chord. You're right. The private jet traffic was up 500%. That should strike a chord. But you know, maybe may the one thing that happened there that's funny, and we so we got to touch on it, but supposedly Biden ripped a fart in front of Camille <laughs> Parker Bowles. I mean, to be, I mean on, to be honest, that's kind of a power move. Right? <laughs> that's like, a flex. Yeah, it's a flex. And then you also think you're the, going to be queen? Also the, clips, <laughs> also the clips of Biden just sitting there like falling asleep, like people saying that's a sign of weakness. I'm like, dude, that's a power move. Like you show up and I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> you don't tell me what to do. I'm going to take a nap on my own time. So, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, how you interpret Biden's antics depends on if you think yeah. it's is it a power move or is it a sign of weakness oh i, I will say move. i will say I and mean, you know me i'm generally a, a big tent type guy when it comes to things we should be talking to the other side we should go get a beer after we argue about politics and stuff even i and i generally didn't agree with him politically you know on policy and that sort of stuff but i always thought uh, obama was a cool dude yeah. i mean i'd love to go play basketball with him grab a beer with him and all he got a little bit under my skin, though, with his speech about the Republicans and denying science and all. It was a little holier than thou than even Obama's been before. And I just I wonder if all of this coming together maybe strikes a little bit of a chord. And maybe we should at Digital Wildcatters be trying to figure out how we could put that package that together uh, to yeah. help win folks to our side, because big time hypocrisy on all that stuff. I mean. We don't have the picture, but we could pull it up. You can Google it where Obama has a $14 million estate at Martha's Vineyard. Three sides are surrounded by water. This is the guy that says the oceans are rising to dangerous, epic proportions, and he's on the waterfront. Maybe he just likes living on the edge. There we go. I like it. I wonder if the insurance company can claim when his house floods. Well, dude, you knew about yeah, you this. Knew it. We have you on record saying it. So. Let's get into our next section real quick. We got the underappreciated story of the week. Boom. Jalapeno and pineapple. That always gets me. But uh, okay, Colin, I know you've got an underappreciated story. I'll start with mine. Kansas City Governor Laura Kelly came out against the Biden administration vaccination mandates. Why is this interesting? It's interesting because she's a Democrat in a traditionally Republican area, and she's facing re-election next week. So is this maybe a bit in, of a crack in the what I'll call the polarization, politis, whatever you want to call it, political mess that has been COVID? Are we starting to see a break? And it's interesting. Is it going to be voter driven or is this maybe people saying, let's be practical about this and stop fighting, but we need to watch this. Yeah. On my side, unappreciated story of the week is the activity that we're having in the nuclear space. So we had a few nuke stories this week. Uh, China's planning to build 150 new reactors in the next 15 years. That's more than the rest of the world has built over the last 35 years. 
So that's, um, I think you feel like the investment that they're putting into nuclear. It's funny, man. I, I was just talking to a uh, professor this weekend and she's very pro nuke. And we we're talking about the, the fighting between energy kind of, let's call them cults, you know, together <laughs> oil and gas guys and renewables, solar and wind hate oil and gas. And then they also hate nuclear. And so it's like just, you know, everyone's kind of jockeying for position of their preferred energy source. And you know, nuclear just has a terrible uh, public image, you know, as much like oil and gas. Um, but something that really cool that happened outside of that was that a company called Helion, not to be confused with Helion, the uh, trucking company, the uh, EV and renewable natural gas trucking company, but Helion, H-E-L-I-O-N, raised $500 million um, through some investors such as Peter Thiel, which is actually part of a uh, $2 billion deal. So if they hit some uh, targets, they can actually raise up to $2 million. And these guys are using nuclear fusion and nuclear fusion is really interesting to me. Um, you know, as we were talking before we got on the mic, you, know, you got two types of uh, nuclear power. You have fission and fusion. Fission is where you're splitting atoms. Fusion is when you're combining atoms. And everyone's always talked about nuclear uh, fusion being, you know, the the infinite clean energy source of the world. Problem is, is that we've never had the technology to do it. MIT had a big breakthrough with their magnet technology. I think it was about a month or two months back. But what's really interesting about Helion is that, you know, I'm reading through this and they said, look, at the end of the day, we're interested in how can we commercialize the technology and produce net electricity? How can we produce power with, you know, consuming less power to generate that then? Um, and one thing that I think is interesting about these guys is you look at this, this, uh, I don't know if you call it a machine or reactor or whatever it'll be, but it's the size of a shipping container. And it can put out to like, I think it was 50, I think that shipping container can put out like 50 megawatts of power. And so you have this little, this little shipping container that has a small footprint. And then reading through some of the comments from the CEO, what I thought was really cool is, you know, if you listen to oil and gas startups podcast, you've heard me talk about how Bitcoin mining and data, data centers will enable new energy sources, you know, whether that's a, um, a wind turbine farm that was uneconomic and now it is economic with data servers. Helion CEO speculates that his first customers may turn out to be data centers because they have a couple of advantages over other potential customers. These data centers are power hungry and often already have power infrastructure in place in order to be able to accept backup generators. In addition, they tend to be a little away from population centers. So you have it here at CEO saying, hey, look, we think that we can commercialize fusion energy and our first customers that are going to enable us to do that are data centers. So I think that, you know, a lot of... Uh, one of my buddies at um, uh, Lower Carbon Ventures the other day posted, dude, it was a lighthearted tweet, very um, positive for fusion energy. And the climate crowd came after him, like super vile and nasty in the comments. And, you know, I messaged him. I was like, man, I can't believe the the response that you're getting to that. And, you know, we're going back and forth. But just to see the renewables crowd, like they fucking hate nuclear and they hate fusion you know if you look at if you look at fission they're like oh we don't have 15 or 20 years to build i'm like how long do you think it's going to take to build out wind turbine farms and solar arrays to support the entire we, grid it's going to take 15 or 20 years we've been so. doing it for 20 years and we still get over 80 percent of our energy exactly. from or exactly. power from so, hydrocarbons so you know, yeah i'm becoming the more i learn about nuclear the more i like it and you know everyone i, I tweeted the other day that 
um did you ever did you ever see the computer game sim city yeah yeah and you'd have these nuclear reactors and they'd melt down and like melt your entire fucking city as like sim sim city ruined nuclear energy for an entire generation because <laughs> that's what we think about it as but you know those nuclear reactors used rods and now they use pellets and you know if there's a problem they like you know they're able to isolate it and so the technology is safe and it just makes so much sense like if we i think um oh man i can't remember who said it the other day on online um i think it's one of the partners of uh lux researcher lux capital and he said if we discovered nuclear energy today we'd be celebrating that we've solved the world's climate crisis yet we demonize it as an old technology and won't invest into it and so you know i'm pumped to see you know for as much as i don't like some of the things that china does regarding energy and and climate i'd love to see that they're building this many reactors because i think that that's the future and i love seeing peter Thiel and these other uh silicon valley guys back healing on a subtle point about that that may be underappreciated because we talk about what a horrible murderous regime the Chinese are, the whole reason they're trying to at least pay lip service and maybe actually doing something towards net carbon zero is they truly want to be part of the world. They want to be part of the discussion. But number two, their people are choking because of the smog. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, I mean, China still does nasty things to their people. I don't want to say anything different, but I think what we've seen kind of over the last 15 to 20 years is the China government, the apparatus has had to show some sort of customer service to its people because they know they can be taken over. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I, I think, I think all their rumblings about renewables, et cetera, is just part of that story as well. Yeah. Jake's mad in the comments that I stole his uh, SimCity nuclear uh, reactor joke. He was the one that brought it up to me the other day, and I just <laughs> I gave him a few days to post it on Twitter. He didn't post it, so I capitalized there on you it. Go. Like, that's that's how it goes around here. So, all right, let's get into our finger of the week. All right, mine and Chuck's favorite segment of the week to I close out the show. <laughs> line, line five. Whoever you're trying to shut me down, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> so we got someone specifically that we can give uh, on that topic the finger of the week to. Let's pull it up here. This group, Resist Line Three, they sent out this tweet the other day. It says just a few things that Biden can do without asking. He could stop Line Three, stop Line Five, shut down Dapple. Stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline, declare a national emergency on climate, stop fossil fuel extraction on federal lands. And Resist Line 3 group, they're getting the finger of the week. There we go. I like it. We got yep. two fingers of the week this yep. week. We, Chuck uh, and I got four middle fingers. We can give up to four a week. <laughs> but in the in the most important news story of the week, we have Whiskey or Woney. Great clip, Chuck. I think the clips are underappreciated around the digital wildcatter office. I'm th just saying. Thanks, Whiskey, for giving Chuck some validation and making him <laughs> feel better about his efforts here. So, guys, that wraps up the show this week. We're going to have to uh, keep keep our finger on the pulse of the Elon and Tesla situation. 
we talk about them every every week here. So I'm sure that we'll be talking about them next week as well. And what are we doing next week in Austin, Colin? Yeah, next week we'll see some of you guys at the New Wave event, 16th through 18th. And Chuck and I will be recording the show either. We gotta figure out Tuesday. Doing it from Austin. Sure, we'll figure it out. Maybe on the lakefront. I there like you that. go. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll catch you next week. Have a good one.